Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone'sACriticPodcast.com. Sorry. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Listen to us at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Oh, my God. This echo is driving me nuts. Uh, to get some sound. I, I switched studios again in my house. Uh, my wife did it for me when I wasn't home. And this room is not the most acoustically pleasing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I apologize to everybody listening. Uh, I will do something about this at some point. Anyway, where was I? Critics Pod is our social media. Uh, listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Write and review the show. Give us a five-star review, and we will read your review on the air, and you will win a Blu-ray. Uh, go ahead and tell us more details on that, Sean. Yeah, it's from Wellgo USA. It's uh, a, it's a, we're, we're going to go with the random Blu-ray because i got a bunch of them that I can give you. So you just get one at random of an uh, international <clears throat> feature. Yeah. Uh, just a fun little thing. We've given out several so far, and if you want one, yeah. just send a review and let us know where so we know where to look for it. Uh, I only know iTunes or Apple Podcasts, so I might miss other things if you leave it there. So if you do leave them, go to our social media and let us know. And then patreon.com slash critics pods is the best way to help support the podcast. And if you want some of our, our merch, go to I hate critics.net and click on the T public link up in the right hand corner or search critics pod there. All right, let's jump right into our episode. We have a lot of movies this week, which is kind of fun. It's been a while since we've had a full, <clears throat> full budget full of movies. Uh, let's start with Halloween kills. Halloween kills stars Jamie Lee Curtis, Judy Greer and Oh gosh, Alex Machaka, I think your name is. I uh, Machalik. I I'm sorry, I'm not yeah, familiar I with I know that I yeah. know. My wife uh, they, thought, my they, wife thought it was uh oh my god, I'm gonna forget her name. Oh my <laughs> god. The chick who was the girl from Harlan Kumar who went on to become a pretty big actress. Uh oh my god. <laughs> Malin Ackerman. Malin Ackerman. Malin Ackerman. And I was like, no. She's like, no, we just watched 27 Dresses, and she's in this with Judy Greer. I'm like, there's no way that girl was in 27 Dresses as an adult. No. <clears throat> she's like she's like 20. Like. Yeah, and Malin Ackerman's like 40. So, <laughs> again, I mean, I can see the resemblance in hindsight, but not like current day. Anyway, no. continue. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this picks up the story of uh, what happened at the end of the last Halloween movie where they'd uh, locked Jason in the basement and set the house on fire. And Michael, then... Michael, not Jason. All <laughs> oh, right. Let it, like it matters. <laughs> You're going to start saying Freddy. Just have some fun with this. Call him something different every time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Pinhead, they locked him in the basement. <laughs> set it on fire. Uh, they, they're on their way to the hospital to try and rescue uh, Laurie Strode, who's been stabbed in the stomach, and uh, they see firemen headed the other way. Then we flash back in time to, uh, I don't know, 19, the late 1970s when yeah. Jason's first captured, and we see uh, the police officer Hawkins, who's eventually played by Will Patton in the modern day, uh, played by Thomas Mann in the in the past version, on uh, this is a really good sequence. It actually would make a better movie, honestly, than what we got. Uh, we've got a bunch of cops chasing Jason around Haddonfield and ending up back at his uh, childhood home, which how come nobody ever figures out that he always goes to his childhood home every time? 
every time he goes to his childhood home, just go to his house. <laughs> just go wait for him at the house. Nobody ever does it. Uh, they end up at his childhood home, and, they, and it ends up with uh, Hawkins accidentally murdering his partner and then saving Michael's life, uh, oddly enough, uh, from not CGI Loomis. That was actually a real makeup guy, a guy in makeup as Dr. Loomis. It looked really believable. I thought it was CGI, honestly. Wow. Uh, but no, it was real. Uh, so that's the, really the most impressive part of the movie just ends right there. Uh, <laughs> after that, Jason, where Michael, we cut back right. to... Uh, yeah, whoever it is. Uh, back to modern time. He kills a bunch of firefighters and then just goes on a rampage. And um, like some of this is pretty effective, like in terms of just being better than the last movie and better than the other Halloween movies. There are certain aspects of this that are pretty good. They, some of the kills are pretty inventive. I liked one where uh, he he's in a car. He's murdering one guy. And then this other person comes up and tries to shoot him. And he kicks the door out. and The door hits her gun and it spins around and shoots her in the face. That was great. That was that was that made me laugh. I I thought that was very funny. What I don't like, and the things that always bug me about this movie, is that you've got Jason or Michael. I keep doing it. I can't stop. I, it's kind um, of fun though. Just go with it. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> you've got Michael uh, going around. And he looks like a badass. Like he's murder. Like he's just an unstoppable killer. But but for some reason they can't stop turning him into this like wacky prankster. <laughs> which is just i've never understood why they got to do this to him so he like murders a bunch of people right and then uh he has this effective scene where he's chasing Lindsay into the forest and she hides and she manages to hide from him and then he walks away but when the scene is when they come back to Lindsay and they come back to the scene apparently michael's now come back and like decided he's going to pose all the victims in a way that takes advantage of your nostalgia for halloween three by putting the halloween three masks on their head it's like, why would he do that? <laughs> he's a, he's an unthinking killing machine. Why is he going back and, and posing his victims for? Why would he do that? And the, that's the, the the complete lack of attention to detail is what bothers me because you, you can tell that this is not a group of people who give this any thought, and that thoughtlessness bugs me because I I watch movies by Ari Aster and I see a guy who's like thinking about every single detail. <laughs> Like every detail is in place. He cares about every aspect of why someone does what they do. And, it, and this just doesn't, it just, he just doesn't care. He just wants it to, they just want it to look cool. And it doesn't, it makes Michael look like a fool. So later on when he finally does go to where he always goes to his home, uh, it's being, it's his now childhood home is occupied by this gay couple, big John and little John, which is, I, I they're wanting to make a gay joke here. Uh, they want to make a gay joke of some sort, but they don't want to be accused of homophobia. So they just kind of go halfway on this. What is it? Isn't it funny that they call each other Big John and Little John? I guess it's weird. I don't know if it's funny. <laughs> it's weird. But then Michael. So Michael shows up and he knocks on the back door. So they go to the back door. Then Michael apparently just runs around to the front door. <laughs> I just love imagining him. I love imagining Michael just jogging to the front door giggling all the way so you knock on the front door and then run right back around to the back door so you can get inside like why do you do why do you do him dirty like that he it's he because all i can think of just how foolish he looks just kind of jogging in his little suit and his mask to get from one door to the next well and it 
on that particular scene, they talk out loud about the front door back. Like they acknowledge it. It's you can play a game with acoustics. I'll you know make that work. You just can't do it a lot. I can tell you right now, the reason people think my house is haunted is because of the acoustics in it. Yeah, I you literally could think, where's that not coming from? Right, but. <laughs> They, they're clearly front and back door in the they, scene. They vocally identify it. Yeah. <laughs> and they do it enough in all the movies that it's not, I don't know. Right. It, it makes Jason look like he's a you know, childish little prankster. <laughs> and it just takes away any kind of menace that he has. It's just so silly. And I just, I can't take him seriously. I, it's just so, and so, you know, there's effective stuff here, like I like kind of like the mob stuff that they do, but it's kind of halfway in what they're going for. And the the uh, Tommy character, Tommy Doyle character played by Michael um, Anthony Michael Hall, he's is he a hero? Is he not a hero? Is he? I don't know what kind of character he's supposed to be. I don't know what his uh, is. He a parody? Is he realistic? Is he a, a MAGA guy? I'm not sure what they're going for with him. Yeah. It really is baffling just what anything that they're trying to do. And on top of that, they've got this whole mob thing where he's kind of raising up a mob to go hunt hunt down Michael, wherever they think he might be. Well, I know what he thought to go to his childhood home. I don't know. But nevertheless, <laughs> regardless, um, uh, that mob thing takes away from the characters that we want to be be with. We want to be with Lori and her daughter and her granddaughter. They're the interesting characters and we don't get them they're all shunted off to the side yeah they're saving them for the third movie <laughs> I'm assuming, or <laughs> saving most of them for the third movie <clears throat> spoiler alert uh, <laughs> right well there again that's another point though they already know that there's a movie called Halloween Ends that is coming next year and it's like well that just means that this movie is just spinning its wheels because Michael's not going to get killed no one's going to stop him so it basically the movie's just kind of spinning its wheels and, and kind of doing nothing for most for the most part. My biggest problem, and, and I, I don't think it's so much that they didn't pay attention to the details. It's the details that they paid attention to that bugs me. They threw it within the Halloween world. They were aware there was another round of sequels that they want to not count for. So they they're focusing on the homage to some of those. They're going out of their way to make it. They're not after Lori, and they're even like making dialogue about that. Uh, <clears throat> base it in reality as much as you can. Don't worry about if you if you want to start fresh and get rid of all the other movies. Don't worry about them. And I just feel like they're focusing on not being those movies to a fault, and it's, yeah. it's actually hurting the storyline. On top of that, I mean, this is the first movie that full on. Maybe not the first one, but. I, I'll be honest, I'm not familiar with like the middle Halloween movies, so forgive me. <laughs> but the ones that I have seen, he's just been a guy in a mask. They they go yeah. full-blown supernatural on this thing. Because, uh, I mean, he would be dead. I mean, there's no... Right. <laughs> you can do your best to try to talk your way around the other ones. And this one, no, they flat out said it's more than a human being. And I'm sure there'll be with every kit With every time he kills, he grows stronger. Yeah, so, and again, I, I don't think, I think they wanted to say something, because as far as I know, this was written and made, actually, I know, well before January 6th, the the riots, I even think it was before George Floyd. Yeah. So, uh, 
it's kind of a coincidence that those things happen afterwards. But again, they're not saying anything. You know, it's effective moments, I guess. Right. But it, it's too rushed. There's no lead up to it, and it just gets out of control. And I, quite frankly, I was bored a lot of the time. Uh, I don't know. I, I this is a mediocre Halloween movie, and that's not. And other than the very first one, none of them are really great. I like Rob Zombie's second one, but nobody saw that or the director's cut version of it. Uh-huh. But uh, I've not liked any of them. I don't even honestly. I mean, the original doesn't really do that much for me. Right. I, uh, know, I remember that episode. <laughs> <laughs> All I can think about is him in the bushes, just running, <laughs> running between houses. But I appreciate the boogie monster version of it that they're going for and the lack of a budget and yeah i'm bringing that to the movie but uh it's there and Uh i do that a lot and it makes it more i don't know i enjoy it that part of it i I think it does a great carpenter does a great job with suspense even though there's definitely logic holes (laughs) he's better at it than certainly everybody else who's touched this franchise absolutely there's no question he's he's been better at it than anybody else uh, the other directors who've done this have not been very good, um, <laughs> and and that's not to say that I think that this is a bad director. I don't think he's a bad director. I think he's just he's so caught up in in. He's too big of a fan. Yeah, there's a lot of like there's a lot of homage, like I said, and a lot of uh, you know callbacks and you know, the Loomis thing, and like honestly, if they'd have made a, that 1978 movie with him just him playing hide and go seek with the cops like that's kind of that's kind of an interesting idea you know because uh, i had somebody who was telling me that you know my, he michael's got the the mind of a six-year-old and and that's why he's kind of a that might explain why he's a prankster i guess but that doesn't you never <laughs> it see doesn't him run you never exactly see exactly <laughs> you know, that, leaving that to your imagination how he's doing that just makes it seem kind of silly because uh, right. he has no personality there's no there's no there's no personality that explains that like freddie freddie can be wacky because Fred, freddie's established himself as wacky you know freddie can do big big set pieces if freddie wants to pose his victims to show them off to people you ex- you're kind of expected of freddie uh <laughs> you don't expect it of of michael because he's got no personality and if they i mean i, I suppose if, however this plays out if you wanted to go supernatural with it, I don't really like that. Uh, I think it's scarier when he's just a guy personally. Uh, but again, it's, I don't know. I, I'm more interested in the Laurie Strode version of it. Uh, part of why I like Rob Zombie's Halloween two was where he went with Laurie Strode. I, especially the director's cut it was more, it made, there was more to it. Uh, here she's in a hospital bed the whole time, you know? And it's, you yep. lose any of that, and all the interesting characters are gone. And you could have—it didn't have to be Tommy Doyle; it could have been anybody. Uh, and I don't know; it just—it didn't do anything for me. It didn't make me think. It didn't. It. it I hate to say it was trying to be Romero because they didn't know about the mob stuff that had gone on the last couple of years. But at the same time, there there was stuff to arguing on social media and stuff that probably played a role. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it was trying too hard. You, it wasn't natural. What did you think of them uh, uh, 
Bruce Lee attacking at the end. Like you've got this giant mob of people with weapons and they're all attacking one at a time on Michael Myers. <laughs> I thought that was I, I it was kind of awesome in a way because I I did enjoy the way he was killing people in that scene, but I was like, why are you just going at one why did anybody bring a gun? <laughs> why did anybody bring a giant shotgun? But it wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> Because he just turned around. I mean, because he did get shot. I don't know if they had a giant shotgun. But, <laughs> I mean, he was definitely killed. And he just yeah, gets Didn't, up like, and... one of them stab him in the neck or so, Like, right through the neck? Yeah. And he still got up. Like, yeah, so it must be some kind of supernatural thing. Yeah. With that, the line you said earlier, I think they're clearly going for that in the, the third yeah. one. But, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Maybe that means they're going to bring Halloween 5 back into the canon. <laughs> What happened in that one? That's where they he was a evil monster controlled by a, a secret cabal, and they used oh, rune okay. stones to to like control him. I don't know if that was four or five, but it's it the Paul com- Rudd. It's the Paul Rudd one. I think it was a combination of the. I think four and five, and maybe even six, all kind of led together, and then. I don't know. I know a bunch of fans are waiting for the next one because they're excited where it was going. And then Jamie Lee Curtis is like, we should make another one. And they scrapped that whole idea and they brought <laughs> her back and <laughs> uh, made her an alcoholic. <laughs> I mean, I'm all for reinventing franchises and picking. How many times have they? How I, many times have they done this now? I mean, I don't Ugh. mind the attempt. I just I, I think they failed personally. Uh, no, oh, yeah. It, it could have been worse, but. Maybe that would have been better in some ways. <laughs> but it's a huge hit. People, I mean, people love it. I don't know why. Well, he's a, I mean, they take it seriously enough, I guess. It's, so it's not like they're studying about outer space, even though that's way more fun. <laughs> uh, so I guess I can appreciate that. But they're just, I don't know. I appreciate their fandom, but that also is what I think holds the movie back for me. If that, if, if I got anything out of this. All right, let's move on. No, go ahead. I was just—I still laugh at prankster Jason, at prankster Michael. <laughs> I just—you just just think about him running. Just think about him in that in that suit and that mask, just jogging from one door to the next. <laughs> just tickles me. Meanwhile, whenever you actually see him, he's walking slowly, <laughs> tilting his head, funny, admiring his work. Anyway, let's move on to The Last Duel. The Last Duel uh, stars uh, Matt Damon, Jodie Comer, uh, Adam Driver, and Ben Affleck, directed by Ridley Scott, in uh, a tale of three different stories. Uh, Three different stories told by three different people, one of which is going to end up being the truth. Uh, The first comes from Matt Damon's character, who uh, kind of poses himself as this uh, you know grand grand warrior defending the revenging the innocents and uh, you know saving his best friend in in battle and uh, even though they actually lost that battle he portrays it like a victory in his version of things and there's the little just the little touches where where things that he thinks are are making him look good really aren't and uh, and it's really smart way of telling a story because he's he's not telling the truth and large portions of what he's telling us he's actually leaving out which we're going to see in like adam driver's version of the story or in jody comer's version of the story um and each of them is telling you a version of the same story which is all leading up to uh jody comer's character being sexually assaulted by adam driver's character 
And again, they all have a version of this, but hers happens to be the truth. Uh, she's the only person who is actually seeing these men for who they are and telling, you know, telling us the story of, of really what's, what's been going on with them and who they really are. And they're, of course, about to duel to the death over the fact that she's accused driver of, of sexually assaulting her. And Damon is essentially defending her honor, but really he's defending his own ego more than anything because Adam Driver's character has continually taken things from him that he thinks are his. Uh, and so when he when Driver rapes his wife, he's basically like, he's not even, like in his version of it, he's a loving husband who's defending her honor, but in reality, he was, he was upset that this is just another thing that Adam Driver has taken from him. And that is just such a smart play. And it really just does feel like something that that is commenting on this day and age of a of how a woman is treated anytime she tries to tell people what a man uh, did to her, especially a, a prominent man, a big man, a Supreme Court justice. Uh, right. <laughs> you might want to say um, it's such a well told story, and and the movie is just endlessly epic these battle scenes are incredible you know, ridley scott is is a tremendous director i've not loved everything that he's done but this is a really tremendous piece of direction but much of what's so successful about this is this really smart screenplay that uses this 800 year old story to comment upon uh, modern society and it does it so incredibly well yeah the only thing i'll disagree with is i i think all three characters think they're telling the truth uh, mm. Like I believe it's Matt Damon's truth or his characters and Adam Driver's truth. I don't think they're lying. I think right. they believe what they're saying. Uh, and even hers <laughs> is probably the most accurate. But even then, is her truth, her version of the truth. Uh, and she probably puts herself in a better light than she. But even that doesn't matter. The fact is, it's really interesting by doing the three versions of the truth and how everybody can see the same thing differently. I just found that fascinating. Uh, just absolutely fascinating and to the point where when i watched i didn't know how it was broken up i actually wasn't liking it for a while because i thought they were like well, they're rushing the story this is re- <laughs> <clears throat> and uh matt damon's character is so unlikable in his own story and adam <laughs> driver's character is so unlikable in his own his own version of the truth they both aren't likable people in their own version even I mean, even in his own version, he does admit that it was a rape. <laughs> like, wow. Well, he, but 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 kinda. but his idea, his idea of it, he he says it was yes, it was a rape. But she only did she only says it's a rape because she really wanted it. But propriety dictates that she state that it was a rape. Well, and he didn't even say it was a rape. He said yes, she protested, <laughs> <laughs> but she really wanted it, so it wasn't really a rape. That's kind of how I took it. And, yeah. Uh, I don't know. It was just. It really was a pretty fantastic movie, and I think Ben Affleck and Jodie Comer should be up for Oscars later on in the year, if I'm being honest with you. Yeah. Uh, Affleck, fucking, I mean, his character is the worst character, not the worst, I guess Adam Travers is, no, Adam's pretty bad, Affleck's pretty bad too. But he is, I've never seen him this good in a movie, and I've loved him in a lot of things. I thought he was fantastic in this. Uh, it's so, so just uh, just boiling over with nasty charisma. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of it's modern day speak mixed in with those old time. But I, I it didn't. I thought it worked. Yeah, you know? I didn't really. 
uh, it didn't really hit me all that wrong. No. Uh, very uh, like these things tend to do because this is set in France. These are French characters. Uh, Damon's character is named uh, De Carouge, and uh, and and Driver's character is Legree, uh, and Ben Affleck's playing Count Pierre. These are not French people in any way, but they're, they're French characters. But it didn't matter. It didn't really. It didn't stand out in a way that 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 was dissonant. And I mean, I know people are going to throw the woke card at this, but oh yeah, I'll be honest. I was not distracted by that at all. Uh, I mean, I was aware that people would probably think that way, but I, I'm telling you, between Adam Driver's story and then Jodie Comer's story, and then the ending uh, mm. was just so well the way and it's her acting too because she's the most different in every story yeah and i i just the the way it hits isn't i mean at one point they're literally saying well if you don't have an orgasm you can't get pregnant and well there she is pregnant <laughs> and it was probably from the rape but then matt damon raped her right afterwards so what's the difference yeah uh, and then he challenges Adam Driver's character to a duel to the death. Yeah. But if Matt Damon loses, he gets burned at the stake, naked in front of the whole town. And talk about suspense and hard mm. to watch. And uh, I mean, this is this movie is fantastic. And I, the first thing I read about it is it bombed. I'm like, fuck you. Dune's going to bomb and Dune's going to be great. <laughs> This is ridiculous. This is an epic movie that's going to live on forever. Meanwhile, this movie is not going to go away. It's getting yeah. praised well. I, I don't. It's. I, I was really quite shocked because last time I saw a movie as good as another movie we were going to talk about at the end, I hated everything for like two or three weeks, uh, and I saw this right after I saw Lamb. So, uh, I just I absolutely adore this movie, and this is kind of the. It's safer than a movie like Lamb or these A24 movies because it's more traditional. Right. But I can get behind this being around at the end of the year when they sit and talk about award movies. I, I think this movie is fantastic. And I just, it's so creative. I love the, I love what they're trying to say because the way they yeah. do it isn't, it, it's not. It's so believable. It's believable. <laughs> it's, it's not spoon fed <laughs> either. It's, yeah. It, it, it's like a punch to the gut. And when you're sitting there watching that duel, it is it is more terrifying than anything fucking Halloween kills had. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it, the 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 dark humor of this mm-hmm. is so great. I loved I loved the way that each in, in each in Damon and, and Driver's stories, each of them sort of, you know, bigs big ups themselves. You know, it's not like anybody and they didn't frame it where they're telling us the story, but we know it's their version of the story, but it's not them necessarily telling it, but you it's from their perspective. And but you can tell like the the choppy editing early on of Damon's story is very specifically intentional because he's leaving out portions that make him look like a fool. He's leaving out the portions where he got humiliated. Uh <laughs> well and he's the more simple character. He, he's not yeah. he's not a he's a he's your typical jock, you know, who I don't think he's leaving them out. I don't think they exist in his mind, you know, it, yeah. it's that. And yeah, you're right. That direction. Why I at first, I was kind of like, really, this is really rushing But in hindsight, it's like really, really, it really ties this whole movie together and 
quite frankly, he's not even trying to be likable. And I can I kind of appreciate that about Matt Damon being, you know, it's hard to not, I don't know, there's no charm, there's no charisma. He's just this hulky little warrior. And I, I don't know, I just, I really like this movie and I can't wait to tell people about it. <laughs> Back to the humor, the like the way that people talk to her, the way people treat her, like a you know a, the way the doctor just just asks her if she's having you know if she's having sex with her husband and if it's satisfying and and just like this is these are normal questions that people ask. This is not a normal question that you're asking a person. Uh, but then they you know they do it in the trial. They're asking her you know they're trying to get her to admit that she's had an affair, even though she said that she was right. It's just and the way they go about it, just trying to shame her constantly, but also like Damon treating her like she's property, not like a person. I mean, everybody does that to her throughout, and well, yeah, and he, the, her entire story is just about her trying to maintain her dignity just basically just just the one thing that that everybody keeps taking from her yeah and that was i mean that's really what all of them were going for but it's so when you look at it that way it's like the matt damon because i i'm not going to get the name right so forgive me for saying matt damon adam driver and <laughs> but he challenges him to a duel to the death not to avenge his wife but to protect his dignity to protect his yeah. name he risks her life and the loss of his child's mother to protect his honor and his dignity for his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when he does, everything else is for show. And even the ending is heartbreaking. And and it doesn't end. I don't know. No matter how it ends, it's going to be heartbreaking. But no matter, there, there's no way it can't. I don't know. It's that scene with her and her kid before the duel. Mm-hmm is mm-hmm. one of the best scenes of the movie that really adds that much more weight to the final scene. Uh, I just go see this movie. I don't care if you see it in the theater or at home, but you got to give this movie a chance because I think it's, you know, fuck Braveheart and Gladiator and all these other sword and sandal movies. I like them, don't get me wrong, but this is far superior to both of those. Absolutely. Anything else in The Last Duel? No, it's incredible. Um, I just love the I, the modern touches. I mean, we're you know people are going to say that this isn't uh, that you know they're going to try and say that this isn't a movie that comments on modern day, but it, it's all about the way that women are treated even today. We're only twenty years or so uh, from a time when people would would literally with a rape victim on 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 you know as a witness testifying and somebody saying to her, "Well, what were you wearing?" <laughs> like that's that's less than 20 years ago that that happened in a courtroom oh I, I even to this day i don't even want to say her name but one of my favorite comedians uh was partially involved in the louis ck thing all anybody wanted to talk to her about for the next four years was that mm-hmm. and now she's trying to do something else and wants to go and promote stuff and all they want to talk to her about is her opinion on dave Chappelle. they don't care about her they, you know, it, it's still it's lesser than this, but it's still something that's bullshit. And right, I mean, when any like, there's just a story just last year in England where uh, police went door to door telling women that you need to take care of yourself, you need to you need to be careful because you know there's a man out there that's doing things. It's like, no, stop the men. Like, why aren't you going and telling men not to harm people? How about that? How about you went door to door and say, hey don't hurt women 
no, no, no. Women, you need to you need to do things that that won't get you hurt. <laughs> I, uh, back to that scene where with her, her kid, what she says there is just kind of like. I mean, basically, she said, "I would have never come forward if I knew this was going to be the outcome," mm. and that's it's just awful. Yeah, it is. And or the scene with the the scene with the, uh, the baby. Well, and, oh. and her mother-in-law. Oh, I mean, good God, oh, that was just. And her friend later on too. Yeah, all of it is just. I mean, her life's essentially ruined outside of that kid. And the indignities that she has to suffer are the indignities that women who are sexually assaulted today still go through. And part of why I think her story is the most accurate is because she's not allowed to have a personality. She is property given off from a father to a guy. Yeah. You know, she never was allowed to. She doesn't have the ability to exaggerate her story. You know, uh, maybe the affair that happened maybe it did maybe it didn't that doesn't really matter it doesn't play a role in what happens at the end uh only to add that everybody's got three versions of the truth Mm -hmm. and i wish that alone if this wasn't even about rape uh that alone is neat it makes a cool movie but you Mm -hmm. throw that this the deepness and the subject matter into this it's again everybody needs to go see this movie yeah, it'll be fighting for a spot on my top ten at the end of the year. Oh, for sure. All right. Hard Luck Love Song. Hard Luck Love Song stars Michael Dorman as a uh, a wannabe songwriter who travels to Nashville. He's kind of a he's really down in his luck. He's uh, instead of writing songs and uh, becoming famous, he spends most of his time hustling pool. Uh, he's very sad. He's a very lonely guy. We see this in, in just the manner in which Michael Dorman plays him. As, uh, there's this, this lovely little graceful scene where he's just one at pool and he's got a little money in his pocket and he goes and he, uh, he sees a homeless guy and he says, I'll get you on the way back. And he goes and he buys some beer for himself. He buys a bottle of wine for the homeless guy. He sees the homeless guy again. He gives him the bottle of wine. He's got to give him a hug because he's, he's got nobody in his life. There's nothing else there. Uh, he's got Sophia Bush, but well, Sophia Bush, he doesn't really have. They ha- have a history together, but she's actually a sex worker in Nashville. And he finds her via the this newspaper ad that she's used for a while, apparently, long enough that he knows, he knows it immediately when he sees it and calls her and invites him to come see him. And uh, they've got this like on and off relationship from about 20 years ago when they were actually kids and uh they start to rekindle things, but you can just tell that it's just not going to go well because it's based upon a lot of drunkenness and a lot of cocaine. And just the, for these two people, this is just not a healthy mix. It's more like a, a fuse that has been lit and it's going to blow up. And when it does, it becomes these two people who know each other well enough to, to know exactly where to go to hurt each other. And that's what they're going to do. Whether or not they come back around together, maybe they do, maybe they don't. I wanted to see the movie to find that out. But uh, th- this movie is really great. Uh, I-, I love these characters. I love the direction is just really smart. The the there's this long the the first you know forty five minutes to an hour are just him, and he's very compelling. He's just in his just his lonesome sadness and just his his isolation, um, and his just his ability to find trouble. Uh, he 
finds himself in a lot of trouble with a guy played by Dermot Moroni, who's got a couple of thugs. And when he takes him at pool, obviously one, that sets up this moment where we're going to touch on visually throughout the movie to remind you that there's something else that's coming that's going to ruin, even if they do manage to find you know, some happiness between each other, something else is coming down the road that's going to ruin that. And it's just so cleverly directed and so cleverly dropped in in these lovely little visual touches. The ending is so great because they earn it. They earn this ending. Uh, this ending that suddenly has Eric Roberts and RZA. <laughs> yeah, wow. it's fantastic. I, I This movie's great. I, I, I just love it. And it's based on a song by Todd Snyder, who is one of my all-time favorite singer-songwriters. Awesome. Uh, is it only in theaters right now? I think so. I'm yeah. not sure if it's streaming or not. I couldn't find it on Saturday. I was on a plane. I was going to watch. I watched uh, the next movie we we're going to talk about, uh, and I had time to watch another one because we got stuck in the airport for an extra two hours. Mm. So I was I wanted to see this one, but I couldn't find it available. It looked like it was only in theaters. So I think that's awesome that they did that. They got that, and uh, that's just very cool. Sounds really good, and I look forward to seeing it when I can. The Velvet Underground. Yes, uh, directed by Todd Haynes, who's a, uh, a terrific you know, feature director, directing his first uh, documentary on uh, the band The Velvet Underground, which was uh, a New York band in the mid to late 1960s that uh, was in the orbit of uh, Andy Warhol, who made him his house band at, the, at his place called The Factory, which was his uh, New York art installation slash disco slash nightclub. Uh, in the, the Velvet Underground were his house band. And many people, to the point where people actually thought Andy Warhol was in the band. Right. <laughs> he could not play an instrument. Uh, Lou Reed is the leader with uh, John Cale, Sterling Morrison, and Mo Tucker, with also Nico added to the band by Andy Warhol because she was really pretty. Uh, she can sing too, and I, th- I like her, her stuff too. Uh, the way he tells the story is in this very unique visual where it's a you know, sometimes talking heads and and uh, you know footage from the past. A lot of it shot by Andy Warhol for his own stuff, for his own use in his art. And uh, the combination is really compelling. Uh, and especially compelling is this uh, rather incredible music. Uh, I don't love everything about the Velvet Underground. Some of that total stuff doesn't really do anything for me. But like heroin and pale blue eyes are two incredible songs. And uh, he uses those. Uh, as a way of just kind of he layers those songs in underneath you know these various different talking heads for years i had no idea who who mo tucker was i didn't know mo tucker is a woman one of the first you know prominent female drummers in 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 rock and roll which is amazing i just i just never the name mo tucker doesn't scream this is a woman you know and i never looked deeper into it so that was kind of interesting yeah i i mean i knew a about the Velvet Underground, I knew about Lou Reed. Uh, I knew the songs you mentioned and a couple other songs, but not really a big fan. Uh, uh, this it was an interesting documentary. Uh, I, I liked the artistic elements to it, like you were saying, the way they cut between takes and in between the talking heads. Just the neat artsy things they do made it more watchable for me. At the same time, I kind of came away with sometimes there's style over substance and i kind of that's how i feel about the velvet underground from being honest <laughs> lou reed in general i don't know if you've ever heard the lou reed metallica record no it, it is you thought saint anger was bad 
<laughs> they were just like, all right, what do we do? Like, just play. Like, okay. All right, we're done. They're like, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> and then he just talks over the top of it, and it's just weird. Uh, and I, I, But at the same time, I appreciate that people, I mean, they had a vision, I guess, but uh, some of it just kind of seemed, at the same time, it's neat, the the way the four of them, the way their visions intertwine, and five if you want to throw Nico in there, and even six if you want to throw Andy Warhol. Yeah. What it means to as soon as you start taking pieces out, it starts to fall apart, and you can see when it becomes Lou Reed's band, and then it starts to sound like what Lou Reed comes into later on, and they all go off and do their own little thing. It, it's that part of it's neat. I just it didn't make me like them anymore. Uh, yeah, but. I thought it was is. fitting. I thought it was fitting for this band, and, and oh, certainly fitting sure. of the of the style of of their music and and the style of Andy Warhol. Really, absolutely, it definitely is plays true to what that era of New York City was like. And that not even that era, that area of that era, mm-hmm. uh, definitely interesting. If nothing else, Bergman Island. Bergman Island uh, stars uh, Alice Cripps and uh, and Tim Roth in the story of a pair of filmmakers who travel to Sweden to uh, uh, this island that was Egmar Bergman's home, uh, and they're going to be there for this uh, Bergman festival. Her, her husband, the husband uh, Tim Roth, is going to be speaking at the festival and showing one of his films and uh, being on a panel talking about Ingmar Bergman movies. And uh, they're both going there though, so they can finish writing their screenplays and. Uh, they each have their own little room where they're writing and they can see each other across the way. And, you know, they, you know, they talk to each other about what they're writing or she talks to him about what she's writing. He doesn't do so much of that. Uh, but at a certain point, uh, she, she's struggling with, with writing her story. And so they go on this long walk and she starts to tell him the story and he's, you know, he's, he's listening, but he's also kind of distracted, but she's still telling the story and we, bec- and suddenly her story comes to life as Mia Wasikowska is playing the main character in her story. Who's a director who has gone to this same Island to be at a wedding where her ex lover is also going to be. And she's going to try and rekindle that relationship with him while she's there. And the way these two stories comment on each other is really brilliant. The way that uh, Mia Hansen Love cuts between these two stories and the way they're told and just the way she layers in these backstories is so beautiful. You think that Tim Roth's character is going to be some kind of villain or some kind of, he's going to be the the myth of the great man who's going to have this big ego. And he's just, he's not, he's a pretty normal guy who loves his wife, but he's, you know, he's also kind of busy and kind of, you know, thoughtless here and there, but he's not a monster. Uh, and I, I just I finally, like, you know, just it just felt like watching a real person instead of that, you know, that kind of classic made up character that we always get when people portray directors in movies. And she's just brilliant. Uh, Alice Cripps just captures this so beautifully the way she, and the, the way it just all comes together, uh, the way that Mia Hansen Love f- frames it all together, just, you know, weaving in this this story that's being told, but then also turning it into a real aspect of the story that we're watching is just great. I just, I adore this movie. That's awesome. Uh, and this is available for streaming. I think I did find this one. I just didn't want to watch it on the plane, but it sounds good. <laughs> Sorry. 
introducing Summer Blair. Yeah, this is a a documentary on Discovery Plus on the actress uh, Selma Blair, who people remember from uh, Cruel Intentions and uh, and Legally Blonde. Uh, she in 2018 revealed that she had multiple sclerosis, and uh, she decided to participate in this documentary to show the the uh, what how this shed a light on this on this disease and the way it can affect you and the way it affects real people. And so often, you know, this is something that we all kind of want to turn away from because it is not easy to look at. Uh, she's she, we see her early on being interviewed. And when she she shows us this thing that happens to her where she if she picks something up with her left hand, the rest of her body collapses. There's no reason there's no it's you don't know why it's something to do with the disease. But it, it, she just she just kind of falls over and almost falls asleep. Uh, it's inexplicable. Um and you know, for a time when she was first diagnosed, she had these tremors that were so bad that they would exhaust her until she fell asleep and she could sleep for 16 hours a day. Oh. And nobody knew what to know what knew what to do about it. They finally got her onto a series of medications that were kind of giving her some function back and she was able to you know, be part of her son's life and, and such. But then she discovers that there's this new treatment, this stem cell treatment that some people say can restore complete like almost regular life like it's not a cure but it it restores so much of your mobility that that uh it's a shot it's shocking a lot of people there's a lot of people who find this very controversial it is incredibly dangerous um and she decides to go through with it and we watch how that goes and it's it is amazing if you watch her on instagram now you're kind of blown away like she has ms like you're just kind of like because it, it apparently it did work for her uh in in many ways and, and it's working for people who have money unfortunately and that's kind of what she's pointing out here is that uh, this is this is a treatment that could be a game changer for hundreds of thousands of people but it's also prohibitively prohibitively expensive and not fully accepted by the entire medical establishment yeah that's you hear that all the time about stem cells and you hear the stories that they're doing the results they're producing but then you hear who they're doing it on as always celebrities or athletes or somebody and it's uh it's really cool i'll definitely have to check this out i do have discovery plus and i'm just very interested and i know a few people with ms and uh it's just cool to see hope <laughs> you know yeah hopefully that that's something that becomes more available to people especially if it's less dangerous uh i don't know how much of it's political and how much of it's ethics and how much of it's safety of why certain medical well, professionals I, I think a lot of it yeah a lot of it is religion right <laughs> unfortunately and religion influencing science in some ways uh because of you know st the nature of stem cells even though that's not even the story of stem cells anymore it would seem right right but no, it sounds like a very interesting documentary. I'll have to check that one out. All right. We do have another new movie, but we're going to save that, and we're going to jump to our undisputed classic, Saint Maud. Saint Maud stars Morphid Clark as Maud, or is she Katie? <laughs> There's some intrigue there. Uh, she's a, a strange, shy young woman, a nurse, who uh, takes on a job working for a former uh, world-famous ballet uh, ballet dancer played by Jennifer Ailey, who is uh, a woman who is dying of cancer, and she's going to become her nurse. And Maude is happens to be very 
recently become very, very religious, very dedicated to to God. And she gets it in her head as she's dealing with uh, the Jennifer Ailey character that uh, she's going to save her, that uh, she's going to uh, bring her to God uh, in the way she understands it. Um, and you can see where Jennifer Ailey's character is just kind of humoring her, or is she? Uh, the movie kind of toys with that idea. What Maud and Maud is not not a uh, reliable narrator in any way uh, in this movie, and uh, to the point where I, in the end, I, I do like this movie. I think it's incredible, but at times I was rather confused as to what I was supposed to believe and what I'm not supposed to believe. Right. No, I'm with you 100. percent I I like it quite a bit, but at the same time, it's there is a level of confusion that the movie leaves you with, which I, I think is intentional. But at the same time, I'm not positive. I want it to be intentional because I'm confused. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, what I love about it, though, is just the whole original idea. Uh, again, yeah. that's something that lacks more than not. Uh, and this is just something it's an artist doing whatever they want to do and telling their version of the story even if it's not perfect uh, it, it's wholly original and I just I'm absolutely happy it exists I, I do like it uh, I just it doesn't quite raise to the levels the next movie that I'm gonna t- we're going to talk about and, right. and in some ways when A24 is involved and the movie doesn't get there <laughs> It's almost like, do I like it? You know, but <laughs> if this didn't have the A24 logo on it, I, I I think I would like it way more. There's just a standard I automatically put on these movies before I see them, and that's not fair to the movies. I do love the ending. That ending was ballsy as hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I, I wish I understood what part of it I was supposed to believe. <laughs> right. But it, it's a neat idea. I, I do... I don't know. It's just a neat idea on the whole. <sighs> it is. It feels like though she she wants it both ways. The director uh, Rose, um, I can't remember her name now. Rose Glass. Glass. Thank you. She seems to. It, it's almost as if she's hedging her bets on whether or not you're going to buy in on one part of it or another part of it. Whether there is whether God is talking to her or God is not talking to her. And I don't think it settles. Honestly, I don't think it settles on either one. Right. It seems like at the very like the last second, it seems to jump back to reality for a moment, and I'm like, "Wait, but which one are you going for?" Yeah, like it. I agree. It seems like early on they want you to believe reality or that God's mm-hmm. not talking to her, and then they throw in that shade of doubt, shadow of doubt, and I don't know. It's. There's a scene late in the movie that they do with Jennifer Ailey's character that made me go the other way. Right. And I was so confused by that scene that the that I don't think the ending hit me as hard if I if it hadn't been for that scene. And I get it. I, I like I don't mind that necessarily. Like I don't believe in ghosts at all. And like I've mentioned my house everything's my house is haunted. I'll be honest, because the acoustics are weird. I've been in the kitchen, and there's a dog in the kitchen, but it's just the way the sound is traveling. My dog would be in my bedroom, but it sounds like he's two feet away from me. And Mm -hmm. at one in the morning, that's pretty scary, (laughs) you know? (laughs) But I still don't believe there's a ghost dog walking around my kitchen, and I just don't. Yeah. 
but at the same time, this movie isn't that either. <laughs> so I don't know why I told this story. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it's worth watching. I, 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 I don't know. I don't I think know it's what. still. I think it's still many ways incredible. Like, I think Morphin Clark's performance is incredible. Oh, absolutely. I think the direction is, is very smart, and it's well. Certainly, it's well directed. There's no doubt about that. I think the the ideas are there. I just don't think. I think that hedges too much on what you're supposed to buy and what you're not supposed to buy. Fair enough. That ending would have been more powerful for me if it were just all real. Right. I get you a hundred percent. All right. Sorry. I rushed through the classics. I can't wait to get back to <laughs> lamb. This movie came out last week. Select cities. Now it's wider this week. I don't know how wide, but wide enough for the quad cities. Yeah, it won't uh, be very long. <laughs> yeah, Sean and I were the only two in the theater. Uh, so funny, I, I arrived at the theater, and I, I don't have to pay for tickets, so I was just talking to the manager, like, uh, I'm just going to go see Lamb. He's like, okay, yeah, just go on in. There's only one other person there. <laughs> and it turned out to be Bob. And the funny part was, I knew it was you instantly, and you had a mask on that was like covering everything but your eyes, but I could still tell it was, and I haven't seen you like in person, but like once since the whole pandemic started. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hey, that's Sean. And then you just burst out laughing. It was pretty awesome. Uh, so we'll do a regular review like we normally do, and then we're going to go strictly straight into spoilers. So when we go to spoilers, we're just going to go there. We'll, let, we'll give you a little notice. Uh, and then we'll throw a little flick chart on at the end. Uh, but once we get to the end of this, if you haven't seen it and you don't want to be spoiled, I recommend turning it off at that point. But go ahead and let's start with the non-spoiler review. <laughs> All right. Uh, Lamb stars Numi Rapace and Hilmer Sneer Goodnison uh, as uh, husband and wife who are uh, farmers in Iceland. Uh, and they, um, they have sheep. Is it sheep? Yeah. And they have just the you know farm and do farmer stuff and then the you know their sheep give birth and and uh then one time they pull one they pull out this baby and well it's different <laughs> it's very very different um they take this particular sheep in this lamb they bring it inside and they they start treating it like a child and you kind of you you know from the trailer what's coming, but it's still it just it's kind of puzzling. If you didn't see the trailer, you'd definitely be like, "What oh, is yeah. going on here?" Uh, me, I'm just sitting there going, "Show me this horrific human lamb abomination now, please." They fuck with you for a little while. They don't show it to you, and then when they do, it is it is something. It's quite a creation. Uh, it, this is a lamb human hybrid, a little girl with a lamb head and <laughs> you're just kind of it, it's just kind of something that's there uh they raise it like their own child they even name the child Atta, and that happens to be the name of their own child that had died uh before the story began uh which is uh, adds just another you know larger element to this this element of sadness and grief and uh longing and desire and just fucking beautiful in many ways um and then the his Hilmer's brother arrives uh, played by born uh bjorn hilder haraldson 
Uh, and he's just, he comes in and adds, adds this whole new energy to the movie because they they are treating this child just like a child, like they treat it like just like their baby. And he walks in and he's the first one who kind of goes, "What the fuck is going on?" <laughs> I was what I fast, found fascinating about these two characters is that they they just seem to accept this right away. <laughs> they just went with it immediately, and no no conversation. Like they have kind of they have conversations with their eyes, basically, just kind of in looking at each other and they, they just seem to know, yeah, we're going to do this. <laughs> then the brother arrives like, what the fuck? And his, what the fuck energy really carries the second act of the movie. Uh, but then the, the final act of the movie, he's actually gone. And this, there's this whole other thing that takes place that uh, leads you to this ending that is just fucking great. <laughs> it's a great ending. Uh, it, it's powerful. It's, hypnotic it's weird it's exciting and i, I love this movie <laughs> absolutely from the f- i mean one it's beautiful yeah it's gorgeous uh the stuff they do with the sheep early on i don't know how much of it's puppetry and how much of it's real sheep like they are making they're they're getting reactions out of these sheep you know when they look scared the sheep look scared when they're curious they look curious with they just they i don't know how the level of patience this director had to get some of those scenes on the dog too. And again, I know there's puppetry involved, so that's probably played a role, but even that takes patience Mm -hmm. Uh, to get these shots and to make them work perfectly is that alone. If this movie sucked, you would have had that going for it. Uh, Then they spend like the whole first act having conversation that doesn't really mean anything it, it gets your mind going it makes you start mm. thinking about things they start talking about time travel at one point you're like what the fuck is this gonna go and they talk about they're they're looking for something there's some loss my head trying to piece where this movie is gonna go uh was all over the place and mm. then as they introduce a new element it adds even that now it makes the possibilities even more and and none of it's cheating none of it's cheap it's all well earned uh but the director is definitely having fun with the audience you know messing with their head and yeah i just absolutely loved that about this and that that was the only thing i was worried about being in the theater together was i'm glad we didn't really talk which is if this were halloween kills we would have had a blast (laughs) probably would have been a better movie uh especially if we were just the only two in there right but i'm pretty sure you're in the same boat i didn't want to distract you i didn't you did probably didn't want to distract me i I couldn't have distracted you if i wanted to anyway i was so like what the fuck is going on I love this movie. This is fantastic. Like it's it's just it's hypnotic. It's you know gorgeous. It's weird. It's so weird. Uh, but I but it's mostly silent. Like I just I dig it. The the patience, the the timing, the reveals are are smart. It's an amazing scene with the, with the brother in law that is just I mean is just so powerful. Uh-huh. Uh, that's a, oh man, because I, I was starting to have hereditary vibes for a moment. <laughs> oh, definitely. Uh, this definitely lines like right in between those two movies for me, uh, because yeah. I don't think a movie has fucked with my head this much since Midsummer. If I'm being honest, 
uh, because I would just it was just going. I didn't come away drunk or anything like that. I mean, this isn't midsummer because nothing's midsummer. <laughs> but it's uh, it, it's a, one of the better A twenty four movies that I have ever seen. I, I like. I'm in love with this movie. Uh, I think it's my favorite of the year so far. It, mm. uh, it's, it's up there for me. And I'm sure I need to go back and there's some really good ones that we've talked about too. Uh, I, I, part of it's just the way it messed my head. Yeah. Uh, and I want to go on to some of the things I was thinking about. So we'll get there in a second. Cause I went somehow really way off and a lot of the ways that got me there I mean, though. The movie invites that though. It invites you to go where you went with this because the, the one thing that you're thinking about early on in this movie, and yes, there's kind of a reveal. Like I thought there was a reveal very at the very beginning, really of what, what took place. But Honestly, there's a question that doesn't get asked that you're that you're kind of wondering, like, why isn't nobody asking who fucked the who fucked the sheep? Right. <laughs> it's like, but it's this like kind of big comic question, like, like how the fuck you, nobody bothered, nobody asks, nobody wants to know, nobody wants to ask that question, and that's part of the tension of the movie is that somebody it feels like somebody's gonna ask that question at any moment. <laughs> but they never even really go into the kid they lost. Yeah, you know. So my assumption, and at one point they're looking for something. They're chasing. They're looking in the barn. There, she. And then we repace his character. Tells him, "You go to the upper part of the barn. It might be up there. I'll leave that for you." But you don't know what they're looking for. You don't know why. They never go into any of that. It's just a, a kind of a dinner conversation. And they move on, and so they leave all these hints of things to the point where, and then when you even go to the grave of their kid, there's like three crosses. There's more mm-hmm. than one. Yeah. So, my assumption was he kept fucking the sheep. They'd have a lamb at some point because animals grow faster than humans. It would age yeah. quicker, and then it wasn't cute anymore, and they had to kill it. <laughs> and they just kept doing this over and over again until one got away. That wow. was my assumption. And quite frankly, even with the way it ends, I I can yeah. still see that making sense. The only thing that doesn't make sense to me is her character. If that is what happened. <laughs> yeah. That's where I got, even though there's a sex scene and like, he doesn't fuck her. He goes down on her, I, you know, it, it, and I don't know if that means anything or not, but it's just interesting. Uh, the relationship between her and the brother law, there's just things there that never totally canceled this idea, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I don't think it's where it goes, but it, it's it just, I don't know. It's just fascinating, but we're, we're already kind of hinting at the spoiler territory. So you want to just start heading there? Yeah. So, uh, All the, right. hold on three, two, one at this point forward, it's spoiler territory. So turn the show off. If you don't want to get spoiled. Go. So you thought the husband was fucking the sheep. Yes. And then I thought the last sheep that comes back and saves the day, if you will, was one that got away. <laughs> sorry is one that got away and because i thought they were looking for that and yeah. when he shows up i was just like oh my god now even if at some point somebody fucked a sheep even for that monster sheep lamb to exist so, <laughs> so i i don't know about that because i don't i don't necessarily think if a human fucks a sheep they can have a baby no <laughs> but at so the I don't same think time any, i don't know to, i don't know I don't know, but then I don't know what they're. I don't know how this this particular human sheep hybrid came to be. Uh, the first one, I guess you would say, <laughs> the one that becomes comes back around at the end. I don't know how that that 
male sheep exists. I don't know how this sheep exists, but I mean, I know how this sheep exists because that male sheep fucked one of the sheep and created this one. Well, that's the way they imply. They never actually show it happening. But right. We assume. We assume. We never see any sheep fucking. <laughs> no. But again, that's what this is. This is this is kind of giving me like uh, uh, Dick Long vibes. Because <laughs> like the one thing that nobody does, nobody wants to do is actually say what happened. They don't want to. Nobody wants to break the tension and actually, you know, because it's such an outlandish idea, such an outlandish question of of who did what to what to create this thing. And nobody wants to say that. Right. And it's almost like this movie flirts with every A24 possibility. Because at some point, you, there's like maybe there's this weird sheep cult. Because they even flirt with some sort of satanic <laughs> rams or whatever. Uh, in a, in a fair in a kind of a daydream. I don't know. There's just so much there that they're messing with. Like it's got that Dick Long vibe. It's got the witch. It definitely has the Ariaster stuff. It's all yeah. present. But you know, in the simplest form, it's just a about a parent's unconditional love for a kid, you know, and uh, what it means and the way we grieve. And I don't know. There's just a lot. There's still so many unanswered questions that I would love to know the answers to, but at the same time, not knowing makes it that much more fun too. That's the thing. Yeah. The, the, the whole tension, like for me, the whole tension of the movie is just how outlandish it is and how, unbelievable it is and the way that no character it's not like like in a seth rogan movie where somebody would actually say who fucked the sheep mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, take and and get the big laugh and 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 cathartic you know settle out and then then figure out who did it this movie doesn't do that and it just maintains that weird tension throughout that creates this atmosphere that is just mesmerizing yeah it's like the i mean this is exactly what happened but the director purposely shows us what he wants us to see we don't see any part of the rest of their lives we only see what he wants us to see which adds that much more to this movie there's they go into town (laughs) we just never do it (laughs) the brother arrives at their house (laughs) having walked miles after somebody threw him out the back of their trunk <laughs> they rolled him out of the back of the trunk of their car, tossed his phone into the ditch, and left him there. And we don't that's know how he gets to their house. And we don't know we he's don't the brother because it's no uh, that adds tension to the movie until exactly. we inter- he's introduced I, as the brother. And the way he like arrives and like the what he does when he arrives is weird. <laughs> like I always thought it, it was giving me like last house on the left vibes again. This the, 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 the weird sort of homage. Yeah, I. At the same time, you go online and look. People hate this movie, especially oh, yeah. <laughs> not critics, not movie buffs, because uh, they're wanting to see. Because the critics are saying how you'll never believe where this goes. Because you won't. Mm-hmm. You won't. But, you know, if you like Halloween Kills, you were going to hate this. Uh, <laughs> I was telling a friend of mine that I, well, I was describing to her the movie that I was watching. She goes, "What the fuck? I would never watch that." <laughs> yeah. But it, it's such you're a, missing out. <laughs> it, 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 uh, and again, I, I went to my brother who was wanted to see it. His wife wouldn't let him go. Uh, I just like, and I think you said this to me as well. But it's like, who comes up with this shit? <laughs> that alone comes up with the idea, and then right? on top of that, this movie is so well thought out. 
it's yeah. ridiculous. So not only do you have to have this ridiculous premise, but then you got to come up with how to tell the story. And right. I mean, well, I mean, it's such a limited premise too. You've got to come up with incident, and the incidents that he comes up with are, are smart. The way he did, de- the way they deal with the actual mother of the lamb, the mother lamb, mm-hmm. the way they deal with that is fucking brilliant. Uh, the that that tension of her just continuously arriving at the baby's window and, and you know calling out to it, you know, and how Nubi Rapace handles that is phenomenal. Just it's like. <laughs> it shouldn't be shocking, but it is. Uh, and you, like I said, they've got to, he's got to come up with this idea and then invent, you know, incidents that are going to carry us to the ending. And he does that brilliantly. And her character just, it's like this wild card throughout. Like mm-hmm. it's the one that prevents me from going with the sheep fucker angle. It, it's I, 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 her motivations are, just i don't know again she's this is one of the better performances of the year i think uh is her uh just when you can see this movie especially if you're a movie buff if you're a movie buff you're listening to this podcast most likely uh yeah this is a must-see uh it's it's icelandic it's foreign so you have to Subtitled. read but <laughs> it's there's very little talking <laughs> yeah uh, it's just all atmosphere and tension, and I, I can't wait to watch it again. I really can't to see what else I'm going to pick up from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else on Lamb before you let us go? No, it's incredible, and it's incredible. Everybody, watch it. All right, let's go and play a little flick chart, and then call it a night. All right, screen share to here. And <laughs> wow. <laughs> Finding Dory <laughs> Zero Dark Thirty. <laughs> I mean, those are two really good movies. Um Yeah. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Zero Dark Thirty. I loved Finding Dory, but Zero Dark Thirty, I like that movie a lot. In a lot of ways are the same movie. Uh, do you know a young at heart? I do. That movie's incredible. All right, uh, it's about an old people choir. You Mr. Deeds or Young at Heart? <laughs> young at Heart by a lot. Okay, Cool Hand Luke Barton Fink. Barton Fink. This would have been harder for me a while ago. Prior, yeah. Prior to having seen Barton Fink, uh, I love Cool Hand Luke a ton, but not the movie as much as Paul Newman's performance. But Barton Fink is. Overall, as a movie, it's yeah, yeah, it's just better. Yeah, The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smog, Planet of the Apes, nineteen. Planet of the Apes, yeah. Zodiac, The Fabulous Baker Boys. Zodiac. Yes. Wanderlust, Taken. Wanderlust. Oh, well, I thought we were going to be split on that one. I agree. No, no, no. I, I, I don't actually like Taken anymore. Oh. <laughs> kind of overtaken now. Good. Drive, Crocodile Dundee. Drive. Yeah. Teenage Ninja 3. Teenage Mutant Ninja Never. 3. Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey. Never heard of it. Good. Ninja Turtles 3. <laughs> She's all that. Ninja Turtles 3. <laughs> Just because of the first one. <laughs> Old Boy 2003, Twilight. This is a, This is awesome. 
<laughs> oh boy. Fuck you, Twilight. <laughs> Memento Panic Room. Memento. The one time I will take Christopher Nolan over David Fincher. <laughs> Maybe the that's the one movie that's going to beat most Fincher movies. I've uh, never seen Test Pilot. Neither have I. Uh, Star Trek Insurrection Roadhouse. Roadhouse. Yes, The Princess Diaries. It's my regular Saturday night thing. Yeah. <laughs> Princess Diaries Predator. It's Predator. Yeah, the best action movie. It was close. Time. It was close, though. I, I will say it was close. Oh, I, I bet you if we were. If we're, if we're Alien versus Predator, I'd be picking Princess Diaries all day. Right. <laughs> the Manchurian Candidate, 10,000 BC. Venturian candidate. 10,000 BC is unwatchable. Yeah. Hard candy predator. Hard candy. That's easy. Yeah. The Jewel of the Nile, West Side Story. West Side Story. I'm not looking forward to that remake. I hate the West Side Story. Frankenstein, Goldeneye. Frankenstein. Absolutely. The Bridge on the River Kwai, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Wow. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Absolutely. Sherlock Holmes, 2010. You don't mess with the Zohan. Sherlock, yeah. Blade, the Secret of Kells. Blade. Okay. Grumpy Old Men, American Werewolf in London. Grumpy Old Men. I don't like American Werewolf in London. Yeah, I don't really have an opinion of it. I need to rewatch it. It's been forever. Grown Ups, Ninja Turtles 3. Ninja Turtles 3. Only because Grown Ups should have been better. I mean, I know as much as you hate Sandler, but there's no excuse for Grown Ups not at least being fun dumb. It's just not good at all. No. Save the Last Dance, Tuxedo. Save the Last Dance. I actually kind of like that movie. Battle Royale, Hostage. Hostage is actually not a bad movie. I'm going Battle Royale, but Hostage is actually one of the last good Bruce Willis movies. Oh. Nice. Ghost Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. I am Sam Identity. Identity. <laughs> Fuck, I am Sam so hard. Yes. Star Trek Beyond, The Princess, and The Frog. Um, I, I kind of like Star oh, Trek. I didn't see the year, so I'm okay with you going with that. Yeah, it's not, it's not Next Generation, so it's probably pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Super 8, the American Werewolf in London. Super 8. I like Star Trek The Next Generation, just none of the movies. All the movies are terrible. <laughs> yeah, Captain America, the first Avenger. Sex in the City. Oh, fuck Sex in the City. Fuck them so hard. Captain America, I hate the Sex in the City movies. Oh, just so bad. Monsters University, Outbreak. That's tough for me. I love both those movies. Which way are you going? Outbreak. Outbreak. I mean, I like monsters, but I, Outbreak's kind of fun. Scream 3, Juwan. Juwan. Just the Scream 3 is the worst Scream movie. Well, in Juwan, like, shows you how to do the grudge right. <laughs> <laughs> Knives Out, Thor the Dark World. I like the Dark World, but it's Knives Out. Knives Out is fantastic. 
<laughs> Ninja Turtles 3. <laughs> Ninja Turtles 3 wins again. Okay, you've seen that? Okay. Well, I'm not, I guess I haven't seen it. Uh, I haven't seen it. I have seen Tarzan the Ant-Man. Alright. I've not seen Last Man on Earth, though. It looks good, though. <laughs> Alien versus Predator was... Requiem or American Hustle? Yeah, that looks pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. District 9, something's got to give. <laughs> uh, uh, you go ahead. I don't know. I'm going District 9. Manchurian Candidate, 2004, Super Mario Brothers. Manchurian Candidate. Agreed. <laughs> Alien vs. Predator versus <laughs> uh, The Hills Have Eyes remake, which I know you hate. Ugh, they're both garbage. They're both utter fucking garbage. Alien versus Predator. I'll flip it. <laughs> I don't have. I don't love Hills as Eyes, but I hate the Alien vs. Predator. I hate movies. them both equally, so I just picked one at random. I win. Not that it matters. <laughs> the Burbs Spice World. <laughs> <laughs> the Burbs. Finding Neverland, Midnight Cowboy. Finding Neverland. Yeah. The sixth day, Apollo 13. Apollo 13. Scream 4, The Negotiator. Negotiator. I haven't seen either one. Toys or Witness? Witness. Inception, 12 Angry Men. That's tough. I love 12 Angry Men. Like, that movie is incredible. Um, Inception's incredible, too, though. So I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm torn. Um, I think my heart says 12 Angry Men. Mine is, too. Only, but I, you've heard my version of when I saw it was in a drive-in at, like, 3 in the morning. Uh, I think I'd watch 12 Angry Men first. It's shorter. It's easier to... I don't, it's just a super watchable movie, despite the age that it is. Cloud Atlas or Doom? That's <laughs> 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 how we end it for Josh. <laughs> let's, let's end it just to torture Josh to think what we might pick. <laughs> yeah. You're never going to know, Josh. You're never going to know, Josh. <laughs>